0: Amen. Why don't you turn around and say hello to somebody? If you're a visitor, you're very welcome. If you're here because of uh, Impact Week, you're also very welcome. (sighs) Just uh, Just a, I want to say a couple of, a couple of big personal thank yous. Um, first of all, to Stacey uh, for overseeing the whole. Kids, I think she's upstairs, but give her a big round of applause. <laughs> and and someone who I don't think's here this morning, but is a quiet genius in the background. And uh, um, that's uh, that's Lena. Um, are they here? Is Lena here? Lena. Da, da. Okay, they're away on holidays, but she builds a set, she puts everyone together, so if she's watching online, give her a big round of applause, and uh, thanks so much for, for all that they do. But there was a whole team that made that work this week, and uh, uh, we had 12 children give their lives to Jesus, um, so that's, that's pretty special, so it's really good. And for those of you who uh, plowed through gardens and, and cut down grumpy people's gardens and all of that stuff and, and emptied rubbish and did all sorts of things. Thank you all for coming out in the rain and doing all that. We just love, bless our community. I did get a text from a lady, we got a text in the church from a lady in Criggy who was crying. Um, she was elderly, couldn't do it. Was, was just struggling to get somebody to come in and do a garden, and we appeared like angels. That, you know, that's what she said. Uh, we, yeah, so it was really good. We, 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 had, uh, we, we had quite a few of the local community folks come Say So, you know, we want to continue to do that. One of the things that Sarah and I are working on, and we have been for a while, but we will continue to work on, we, we want to set something up that continues that, that good work that we do in our community. And, uh, um, um, you know, we've been really busy with lots of things this year, so it was a little bit kind of dialed back this year, but next year whole revamp refresh and bigger than better so you know if you haven't done that before I really encourage you just go and bless our community just do something nice for somebody you know we're meant to be the light of the world right sometimes I think we're the darkness of hell and we need to learn to change our differences all right than that so yeah just we're starting the way we mean to go on today no I'm only joking listen before I start I've got to actually I want to share something with you um um Unfortunately, I need to address some local gossip and some stuff that's been circling online over the last month, Um, and uh, I just want to read a statement out before I get into this today. I'm excited about what I want to share, but I do need to share this. I want to reassure the members of our church and those who interact with our church-related activities and events that we, the elder staff and wider leadership team, take what we do incredibly serious. We wanted to bring reassurance to you all that our children and youth policies are up-to-date and actively maintained within our church structures we especially take our responsibility for our children and continue to place a highest importance on what we do here. We will always aim to protect and maintain those high standards of protection in all the ministries that we do in Journey. I wanna be very clear that any member, visitor, and person attending our church that's found in breach of those policies will be immediately removed from fellowship of our church. We have removed people from fellowship in our church in the past, and we will continue to do that in the future if required. I wanna be clear that there has never been any breaches of our policy on our premises or any events organized by Journey Community Church. We plan to maintain that 100% record. Our church has always been an open and invitational church. We cannot monitor all people who attend, but to be clear, we believe in the full repentance of the gospel, but we also believe in a long-term track record of new life that Jesus brings, leading to maturity in faith and life choices. Many people fall into sinfulness and often or never take responsibility for their own actions. That is not compatible with biblical living or life. We believe in absolute grace, but the scriptures are very clear. Grace at any cost doesn't unburden us from our responsibilities of work in true discipleship. We will continue to challenge all behaviour that is deemed unbiblical, immoral, unethical, and irresponsible. And as a leadership team, we will continue to address those where they belong in the background out of gossip's way. We will never be found short in doing the right thing in line with scriptures and the law. It's important that you know on occasions we've had to work with local authorities, Gateway, the PSNI and social services to maintain good and safe practices within our church. And we will continue to consult those authorities if and when we're required to do so. Let me be very clear. If anyone was found in breach of the law, Journey Community Church is no hiding place. I will bring those people to the full ramifications of the law. I hope this brings some clarity for those who need reassurance today. Thank you on behalf of the eldership and the staff here. Sometimes we have to address things that are important that that we need to do, that sometimes some of you won't won't maybe know what's going on, but that was important that we do. I want to reassure you that we take what we do here incredibly serious. We sometimes don't take ourselves very serious, so we need to learn to laugh, but what we do here, we take incredibly serious. I don't know about you, but um, anybody watch Reels at four o'clock in the morning when you're jet lagged? Well, honest, who's the Real Watchers? Put your hands up, confess. There's more of you out there, I know there is. Who watches the reels? Okay, there's a few of you. Yeah, yeah. See, confession time. I'm a bit of a real watcher. But don't you don't you notice some of the most random things come up? You just wonder what's out there. Like We, we lose most of our life disappearing in Narnia somewhere, but um, I, I was watching this thing which was called The Highest Poker Hand Ever. Anybody, is it just me that just gets these, po- I don't know what's going on in my life that they make me think I need to watch poker players, but I watched these poker players, But it was, a, it was called The Largest Bet Hand Ever. And there was these two young lads and it was like a $1.9 million pot. And I'm like, these guys are nuts. And they were like, they didn't even have good hands, but, but they both went all in. And I was struck that, I was like, that's an amazing risk to take. I, I don't know about you, but there's three types of people known to the world. I wonder which one you are. Um, I, I wonder if you've ever, ever, ever been one of those people who learned to go all in. There's three types of risk averted people. The first one are all-out risk-takers. Who's that, Confession Time? Who's all-out risk-takers? Oh, there's more of you in here for sure. Yes, all out risk-takers, okay. Um, who, who are those that kind of play it safe, but every now and again, you'll take a mad risk? Who are those? Yep, a few of you, yep. And who are those who are completely risk-aversive, will play it safe all the time, will never deal anything risky? That is definitely my wife. <laughs> Her and I, we, we shouldn't be married. I don't even know how we work sometimes. <laughs> but have you ever noticed that sometimes there, there's, there's, there's these kind of groups of people? Um, I'm an all-in type of person. If I'm in, I'm all-in. You don't kind of get half. You probably know that by now. But I think sometimes when it comes to the gospel and Christianity and the kingdom of God, I think true discipleship sometimes gets a bad rap because we don't always go all-in. We never wanted to be a church that was risk aversive. Now, we don't want to be stupid, but we never wanted to be a church that wasn't afraid to take risks for the kingdom. That's why we do what we do. We invest about a third of our finances back into our community events, and that's why we do things at Kingdom Come. But I'm not gonna lie, Kingdom Come costs money to run, and um, we have to sell tickets. I think the people that we bring in here and the quality of speaker that we have this year is exceptional. There's a few people that you won't know, but uh, exceptional people. Jean-Luc Trocel is basically one of the largest revivalists in Europe. He, he's from Switzerland. He's an incredible communicator. And the fact that he's, he's wanting to come to us is actually quite incredible. I'm really excited about that. Paul Reid from Belfast, or my, own, my own pastor, he's going to be here. We've got Paul Munwaring, and we've got Lou Engel, And Lou hasn't traveled yet. Lou hasn't traveled in a long time. And it's kind of odd what's happened, but there was, a, there, was a, there was a dream life that took place and there was some things involved in Ireland. And we had a one-hour meeting online and... He's got a message that he wants to bring to our our island, and I'm really excited (laughs) about that. So please share it on socials. Get it out there. We need to sell a few tickets. I've got to spend quite a lot of money now, so the money that needs to come in needs to go out again. So please do that. And I've been told told there's a heat wave coming on the 10th of August. (laughs) I'm not joking. I'm serious. I checked, I checked the long term fishing weather and it said there's a heat wave coming mid August. I'm like, yes, come on, Jesus. Get all that rain out of the way now so that when it comes to that, so, you know, get your camping booked in and get ready to go. Um, Risk taking is an interesting one because, you know, imagine that Noah didn't listen to God, the boat wouldn't have built, and dear knows where we'd we'll be today. Imagine Peter didn't get out of the, the boat when Jesus called him to walk on water. Uh, imagine that that some of the greatest characters in the Bible were like my wife and risk aversion. I'm not entirely sure an awful lot of things would have ever got done in the spectacular level that they did. But I want to ask you a question. What risks are you taking in your relationship with God? What risks do you take in your Christianity? Um, I, I, want to, I want to show you something before I kind of get into what I have to say. Because what I say today is hopefully gonna be challenging and a little bit of fun and hopefully, you know me, Scoogie bum time and all of that stuff. But I wanna show you a picture first of all, because I wanna set a premise on something that I feel that the Lord has been speaking to me really clearly about. There should be an image that'll come up on the screen there, hopefully. Put that first one up, Ian, if you're there, Johnny, yep. Um, I wanna talk a little bit, before we get into this today, that something that we need to recalculate again, because churches like ours often do this. You see, here's what tends to happen We often pray out of our desires and our problems. And when the rubbish comes into our lives, we pray through the lens of trouble. We we, we tend to live in that responsiveness to the way that God works. But actually, that's not true Christianity because here's what happens. We know that God has this desire to bless us. We know that God is a God who's good and he desires to bless. But often what happens is we actually treat God like a cosmic Coke machine. That if I put a pound in, I receive a bottle of Coke out. And we treat God that if I pray a prayer, I receive something. Now, God's a good God and sometimes he does that. But actually, if that's the depth of your Christianity or your relationship with God, you actually don't have this right. And I want to set this right before I get into what I have to say today. Because actually, true worship of the Lord is the opposite of this. You see, this is is, just keep that up, Ian, or Johnny, whoever's on up there. The the problem with this is that that what we do is we pray into our desires, knowing that God has a desire to bless. But the problem is it's the wrong way around. We're we're doing it back to front. Just flick the next one up. See, this is the way that it should work. That when we worship God, no matter what happens in our life or how bad it gets, when we worship God, out of his desire to bless as a byproduct... In our worship to him, he meets our needs and we get fulfilled. And it's, it's a different way. And I want to start by this, that true discipleship comes from the worship of the Lord, no matter what happens in our life. Can I get you to nail that? Because I think sometimes we, we, the first storm that comes in our life or the first challenge in our Christianity, we're often can just blow it out of the water. Because we want the happy God who makes our life complete but actually the God who's the God of Isaac Jacob actually requires us to worship even though rubbish happens in our lives. Does that make sense? So let's worship our God in spirit and truth no matter what's going on in our life and not out of a place of need, but out of a place we worship. And out of that place, you'll find that he'll meet your needs. It's, it's back to front. Is that, is, does that kind of set a picture for you? Good, let me get into this then. Um, I, I think... Um, There's a tremendous cost to follow Christ. I was talking to John Walker this week. And, um, you know, salvation's a free gift of Christ. We know that. But the true discipleship will cost you everything. I think it was Diedrich Bonhoeffer said, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. He also said, Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. See, what does it mean to be disciplined, disciples? And I think it's not necessarily a trend the world, but Jesus didn't tell us to go and make Christians. He told us to go and make disciples. And we have a deep passion to see the lost one, but who has got a deep passion to see those lost brought into the fullness of Christ? You see, there's an interesting thing happening in the church, and the church actually worldwide doesn't know what to do with this. 20 years ago, if someone became a Christian, you hand them a Bible, you hand them a every day with Jesus, first 32 days, you put them beside somebody, you put them in a small group and you got them to the prayer meeting and hopefully it stuck. Do you know what I've discovered today? Today they need about six months of sorting out all of the rubbish in their lives just to be able to read the Bible. And there's a whole section in church that doesn't know how to do that anymore. You know, so if you've been brought up in a good family, that's great, but most of the people that are now coming into church are very damaged, very broken and very confused about their own identity. How can they ever discover an identity in Christ? So we have to backtrack a little bit in regards to helping people become disciples. But I want to say this, you're not meant to stay there. I want to ask you a question. When do we move from becoming a receiver? I need need to receive. Where true discipleship is transformed into I need to become a giver. There's a time when we all need our needs met. But there's a time when true discipleship makes a click where you go you know what i'm not going to live that old life anymore i'm not standing there anymore i'm moving in to the true relationship with god because it is a decision of our will and our mind and our emotion and for too many times what happens is we end up in this place where where it's easy to fall back to the things that are easy because we live in a world that wants the easy path but true discipleship will actually cost you something can I, I, I read a book every few years, Diedrich Bonhoeffer's The Cost of Discipleship. It was about £30, but I pr- go and read it, and every time I read it, I just read it every now and again because it just keeps reminding me why we do what we do. This, this Christianity isn't meant to be a cushy life. If you've got your Bible, why don't you turn with me to Luke 14 25? Um, I want you to read from your Bibles. It will appear behind me here, but it would be good just for you to open up your Bibles. This is a great passage. Um, Luke 14, starting at 25. It's the cost of being a discipleship. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turned to them and he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. I mean, that's nuts. This is Jesus' words to a large group of people. And anyone who does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose, and then he goes on to give these illustrations, suppose one of you wants to build a tower, won't he first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he's enough money to complete it? For if he laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, anyone else who sees it will ridicule you saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Many of you know some people who became Christians and never really understood the true cost of going on in the kingdom. Or suppose a king is about to go to war with another king, won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able, with 10,000 men, to oppose the one coming with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still far away and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything cannot be my disciples. And then he says this really weird thing salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit for neither soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus is saying something really strong here. He's got this large crowd of people and the crowds are following him. And it's really interesting having been to Israel. If, you, if you've, you know, there's a real contextualization happens in Israel and I'm going to organize another trip for next year. So I would say get in fast if you, see that, if you see that going. But one of the places you go to is these places where Capernaum is not big. You know, it's about the size of the castle grounds, if even that. And of all of these, and their houses were really tiny and all connected together, you know, and uh, there really wasn't much luxurious. In fact, the big house there that was luxurious was maybe, you know, a quarter of the stage. Um, But what you realize was there wasn't a high population in Galilee particularly. So these people who came, came from miles and miles and miles around to see Jesus. And often he had crowds like 5,000 people. 5,000 people in that day was bananas, it's just a huge crowd. And Jesus has this whole crowd in front of him. And, and rather than Jesus getting excited about this large crowd, he actually, you can pick up in the tone that he's not getting excited about having a big crowd. Because, you see, in, in our world, in the church world, we like big crowds. We pastors, we, we like big crowds. Uh, I could also sing a song, but I'll not. Um, but Jesus gets kind of skeptical at this crowd. And he looks at the crowd and he says, hey, are you all really sure you want to be here? Are you sure this is the right place that you'd be, that that you're in the right place? Because if you really want to follow me, unless you hate your father, your mother, your wife, your kids, even your own life, and that you're ready to pick up a cross and die for me, you're in the wrong room. That seminar is over there. You see, if Jesus was here in bodily form, he would be saying, you know, I'm going out there, and if you want to follow me, if you want to come after me and you want to be my disciple, you might never see your family again. Oh, and by the way, if you follow me, there's a cross waiting for you. Are you sure you want to be here? Because that's what it's going to cost you to follow me. And Jesus tackles this crowd head on, and he, 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 he's not messing. Like, he's not messing. And he says, there's this little bunch of crosses waiting for you. Are you really willing to pick it up, wrap it round yourself, and go to death with me? Because that's what he challenges this crowd about. He says, unless you're fully in, you're not in at all. Are you sure you want to be here? Are you sure this is the right place for you? Do you still want to follow me? Because unless you're willing to go the whole way, you can't be my disciples. And then he goes on to say this. You know, if you want to build a tower, do you not sit down and estimate the cost? You see, this is why sometimes when we lead people to Christ, it's not just about the prayer that you pray in that moment. It's about how how we take you on. I used to work for Youth for Christ as an evangelist. Um, Over the few years that I worked for them, I led, um, I think, somewhere in the region of about 4,500 people to Jesus. But one of the things that we were doing, we were taking a multimedia program out to schools, churches, youth groups, and prisons, and we were showing this gospel message to, to maybe a youth worker in a, in a country church that had 30 or 40 kids there, and he was the only youth worker, or she was the only youth worker there. And we would come in, and we would lead all these kids to Jesus. And every night, you'd have a huge appeal, and all these kids, they'd give their life to the Lord. But I would often go back the next year and say, where are all the kids? Oh, they, we, didn't, we didn't do anything with them after that. And I started to get a little bit frustrated that, that even though I was doing this incredible multimedia evangelism program we're leading all these kids to Jesus, I actually felt the Lord convict me and say, but who's discipling them? I actually left that job because I couldn't cope with the fact that we were leading these kids to Jesus, but nobody was actually discipling them. And we're called to make disciples. Yes, it's great if you lead someone to the Lord. Can I I say this? If I lead someone personally to the Lord, I make a choice to be vested in interest into them for a period of two years. I take that as a personal responsibility. So if I've ever led you to the Lord, you will have my hand in your life if you choose that, if you want that. If you don't want it, that's fair. But I will a commitment to, to be able to do that. Now here's the question. Who are you discipling? Who, who are you taking on? Because the buying in requires a massive decision within our own lives. When you became a Christian, what was it you wanted? The nice fluffy Holy Spirit nice fields and the fuzzy bunnies and all of that stuff? Or did you understand that that this is something that's going to cost you? Jesus makes a reference here to finances. He makes a reference to the cost of building something. There is a cost to building a relationship with Jesus. Salvation's free, but it will cost you your life. When I became a Christian, um, I upset my mother quite a lot. Um, She was a very devout Catholic. I was raised a very devout Catholic, went to Mass twice on Sunday, was an older boy the whole week. And I got radically saved at 16, filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking in tongues. I'd never been around anybody that ever spoke in tongues before. God really impacted my life. Uh, And I made the mistake of becoming a passionate evangelist where I told all my Catholic friends we're going to hell. (laughs) That wasn't a good idea, so don't start there, by the way, all right? It's not good. I was even more braver when I went to the local parish priest to try and lead him to Jesus. Bad idea, uh, young and naive. Um, but w- one, of the things I, one of the things I realized was at that moment, I was bought and sold, but it did cost me something. Now, it took a long time, but my mom made me promise two things, that I would never join another church and I would never get baptized, both of which I did within about a year of that and didn't tell her. But she came one time and she said to me, she said, um, she said did you get baptized one time? I said, yeah, I did. She said, I told you not to. I said, I know you did. But I had to. And she was like, okay, fair enough. She, 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 the local parish priest told her it was a wee phase I was going through. And I bumped into him a few, a few years ago, down in Down Patrick. He says, you still in that phase, John? Yeah, I am. <laughs> See, sometimes becoming a Christian will cost you. I know friends of mine who lost their parents and lost their family because they give their life to the Lord. It's easy for some of us, but it's actually, unless we sit down and count the cost of what it means to follow Jesus. Let me tell you something. You might become lonely. You might lose your popularity. You might lose relationships. You might even lose your parents. They may even hate you. And yet, is Jesus so beautiful that it's worth counting the cost of following him? He says to the crowds, unless you give up everything, you cannot follow me. I'm not making this up. This was Jesus' words. And then he gives this other illustration. He says, suppose a king is about to go to war with another king. Won't he first sit down and consider you know, whether 10,000 men can Can take on twenty thousand men. Uh, You know we've got the tar illustration, and uh, you know you're ready to go all in. And then there's this other thing that's kind of like interesting to me. I love the battle analogy. You know when I when I kind of became a Christian at the start, we used to have all these worship songs which were like triumphal army rising and battles and victories and taking down Satan's strongholds and all the rest. We we don't really sing those songs much anymore. I miss them, you know, the battle belongs to the Lord, you know, and all of this stuff. It's like, we don't really, we're not having those kind of war cries anymore because war's bad and all of that. But who remembers those songs? Yeah. Somebody needs to start, here, you worship people, we need to start writing battle songs again. (laughs) All right. But, you know, but I think sometimes that, that, that we forget because We've forgotten that Christianity is actually a battle. Now it's a battle that's already won, but the battle in your life isn't won yet if you haven't understood what true discipleship is. Because we're continually battling against the enemy, against our own thoughts, our own accusing, our own, our own mind. We're continually battling against that. And yet the victory's already won, but how do you take that victory and apply it into our own personal lives? I, I I love it, it's interesting to me, but I think sometimes we forget because we like to live behind the fortress walls. And we want other people to fight our battles for us. And we remain silent and we stay in a safe place because it's nice to be in our own little Christian bubble behind our wall, behind our hidey holes, and kind of like not and we don't want to go out there because when we go out there, people start shooting at you. You know, imagine, imagine in Christianity you go into the battlefront and, 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 you know, and somebody comes running back and, you know, the, the commander sent them out and he comes back in and he goes, why'd you send me out there for? I go, what do you mean? That's what we're supposed to do. Those people are shooting at me. Those people are firing hand grenades at me. That's dangerous. Yes, it's called going to war. But I don't want to go out there. I don't want people shooting at me. I'd rather live in here. And we forget that there's a battle to be won. There's a battle in Antrim to be won. There's a battle in Northern Ireland and in Ireland to be won. There's lives that are going to hell and sometimes we don't really care. We're not passionate about it. And there's a battle going on right now for the hearts of our young people and the minds of of what's going on right now. And you only need to go down into that town and have a conversation in Tesco's to understand the depravity that most people are living in these days. They don't know that they need a savior. And you know something? We don't really look any different to the rest of the world. And true discipleship is when you look in the eyes of someone and you know because you know because you know they are different. That's different gravy. It's only ever happened to me once. I wish it happened to me more. But a random stranger walked up to me many years ago and said, Are you a Christian? I says, yeah, how do you know? Because I wasn't doing anything that would have displayed Christianity at the time. In fact, I may have been doing stuff that wasn't displaying too much of it. And I said, how did you know that? She says, I could just tell. I says, what was it? She says, well, you just kind of got a something. Have you got the something? Do you look different to the world? Do you look different as a disciple of Jesus? That looks different to the world? Or are you struggling and fighting and complaining and moaning about all the same things they are? How many of you know you're meant? How many of you know there's a river of peace that lives inside of you? How many of you know there's a river of joy that should be coming out of you? How many of you know that the peace that passes all understanding is deep within you and you're a well that's meant to bring life and freedom and hope and joy to other people's lives? How many of you know that as Christians, it's okay to laugh? <laughs> Do you think I'm joking? <laughs> how, how many of you know that sometimes when you know who you are in Christ, that you will say no to things that the world will say yes to? And sometimes we have to say no to things that, that, that don't, don't work. I didn't make the rules, Jesus did. Now be very careful that we don't slide into Pharisees. Because there's a law that the Bible Need just to maintain. And, and I've noticed a lot of people who like to maintain the law. Northern Ireland's full of them. They're called Pharisees. They need a pharisectomy. And if you're offended, offended by that, you need a pharisectomy yourself. But there's Pharisees all over the place, and they don't understand grace. And here's the problem. Most of the Pharisees are true and right. What they say is true. But if we don't understand grace that comes together with these two things, we will never understand that because that is no gospel has to come with grace which is the ability to pick yourself up and keep going so if you get shot at and trust me i've got scars all over my body you know i, I it's amazing i only need to go into the town sometimes and you hear the whispers that's john ash he and with that i went quote oh, i'll be back no i've got two bars And uh, you hear the the whispers and you just giggle now. Why? Because I'm not afraid to go out into the front line. I'm not afraid to take the bullets. And if I die, I die. Do you know, that art of Christianity and that fearlessness is so rare today. How do you find that place again? Where we understand law and grace, but that when we go into the world, that, hey, I can't tolerate that. But I love you enough to share my faith with you and be your friend and partner. That I, I I find people want to trip you up all the time. People will come to me and say, "What do you believe about that, John?" I say, mm, "I got a few opinions about that, but you'll not like it." Well, how do you know I won't like it? It's just because you're asking me a question and it's loaded. And we got to get more skillful at, at learning how Jesus was a master at dealing with. With, with questions. We've got to become more skillful about having smart answers for the gospel. What do we do? We love a fight. The problem is we're picking the wrong battles. We want to argue. And any keyboard warriors in here? When we started this church, Ian Somerville and I were the worst. You go on Facebook and we were just like 55 page returns, 7,000 comments having conversations with people, you know, and, and then as you grow a little bit wiser and you kind of wise up a little bit, you start typing, you feel better therapeutically, and then you hit the delete button. Who does that? <laughs> yeah, a few, you, you're laughing because you know what I'm talking about. Do you know how many delete buttons I've done in the last four weeks? No, I'm just like, leave it alone. Um, and and, and we, we, need to, we need to go back to where we need to understand that you're an army, that you're part of an army, and that there's a structure in place that isn't meant to be fortified Forever. Yes, it's good to come back and get rest, get replenished, fix tiredness, but then we've got to get back into the battle. How many of you are engaging in a battle? Are you staying in the nice peace and tranquility of the fortress? And Jesus said, here, you know, what did you expect when you go out into the world? People are going to say bad things about you. How do, you know, (laughs) if you don't look any different than the world does, you need to have a long, hard look at yourself. I want you to ask yourself a question. Does my discipleship reflect the truth of Jesus in all of my life or only just what I do on a Sunday morning? True disciples take a long, hard look at themselves. And finally, he says this really weird thing. He says, salt is good. Um, Now, I was told salt's really bad. We we had an interesting experience. When the the USA team came here uh, this year, one of the complaints on the form was that the food was too bland. And I was like, what? We give you really good food. And then I worked something out. Over the last 10 years, our government has, and the European law, has taken salt out of our food. And then you go to America and you eat a Chick-fil-A and you wake up at four o'clock in the morning absolutely parched because they use salt mines in their food. And it's like, it's like I understand why they complain about the food now because their food is full of salt. Now, I've been told the reason why I' taking salt out is supposed to help us. Mara's laughing. It's like, it's, it's true. It is true. It's like so much salt. I'm like, I need to go home to stop eating salt. It's really bad. And then I find this Himalayan salt, which is 20 times stronger than normal salt. That's a whole other story for another time. But anyway, I'll leave it at that. But Jesus said this. He says, he says, he says do you understand how salt works? Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Is neither fit for soil or the manure pile. Now, I want to caveat something. The NIV here in the word manure had to lessen the impact of that word because the word that's in true scripture is exactly that word, okay? It's what goes in the toilet pot, all right? That's what that word actually says. In fact, what he's saying is, if salt loses its saltiness, it's actually no good even for manure. At least manure can be spread on a field and crops will grow. But you can't put salt in manure because it, what he's actually saying is it would, destroy, it would destroy crap. That's what he's actually saying. And, and it's kind of funny because it's like it's like one, one of these things that how, how does salt lose loses its flavor? Well, apparently if you leave salt out in the air after a period of time, it goes, it loses its flavor. But salt isn't meant to be sat in a big pile. And, and I often as pastors, we go around and, you know, numbers are really important. I agree, numbers are important. It's the fourth book of the Bible, okay? <laughs> but ma- but many many churches are, and pastors, many of you got on a Sunday morning? Many of you got coming to your conference? And, and we walk around with big piles of salt and go, look at all my salt. Look, see the big pile. And we like to show off our salt to to all the other pastors. It's like, you know, I like big salt and I cannot lie. All the other passers can't deny. <laughs> a few of you got that one. I know it's terrible. Had to make you laugh somewhere. And, and I learned something, and we've had a few discussions over staff around this over the last few weeks. I'd rather have 20 salty grains of salt that work. Than a thousand grains of saltless salt, and I've learned something that I used to think: if I led two hundred people to Jesus, start at a church, we could take the whole of Antrim. And sometimes I realised that when you hang around, see, here's another problem: if you put salt that's good into a salt a saltless pile, guess what happens? The bad salt doesn't become good; the good salt becomes bad. And I'm going to invite the band back up again. I had so much more to say about that. There's a flavor, seasoning, added value that's meant to be alive and living within us. We're meant to look different. As I finish, I want to give you 10 things really quickly. I mean, these are not long. They're just statements. Healthy disciples... Understand these 10 things. The first thing is, lay down your life. It will cost you something. It's called sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they used to bring sacrifice to the altar and they would lay the things on the table and they brought a sacrifice. When was the last time you brought a true sacrifice to the Lord? Now, I don't know what that looks like for you. Maybe financial, maybe it's time, maybe it's energy, but sacrifice. If Christianity isn't hurting you, it's probably not Christianity. Let me say it again. If Christianity isn't costing you and hurting you, it's probably not Christianity. Go do something radical. I took Bibles into Laos one time over the Thai border. I kid you not, two bright pink suitcases stuffed with wrapped Bibles. I thought, man, I'm really, really doing the gospel thing. And everybody else got through except me. I got called in. And as I stood there literally thinking I was going to spend the next five years in a jail in lie, the guy says, open bag. All right, okay. And all I could think about was I'm going to get searched by a big hairy Laod guard. <laughs> and I, he opened up. He says, what's this? I said, I don't know, Gifts, gifts for people and he put, a, he put a hat over the camera and he said, Bubli, Bible? He said, yeah, he said, can I have some? He took four Bibles out of the bag, zipped it back up again and sent me on my way. I slept very well that night. <laughs> Sometimes we've got to do mad stuff just to understand that we see the favor of the Lord. If you're not doing mad stuff, you're not a risk taker, forget it. Number two, be careful who you hang out with. Proverbs 13, 20 says this, He walks with wise men will be wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Run with wise people, people. You know, there's plenty of fools out there, and I think sometimes, oh, we gotta love everybody. Sometimes fools will make you a lot less salty and bring you into foolishness. Apostle Paul said this, he echoed these words, bad company corrupts good morals. Number three, God is to be worshipped, not to be used for personal benefits. That's that picture I showed you. Find a personal mission. I've got a mission. What's yours? Find something that you can commit your life to. Number five, read your Bible and pray daily. Too many Christians don't read their Bible. I talk to some of you, and you're not behind the door and telling me. Say, no, I haven't read my Bible in months. What? Read your your Bible and pray daily. And if you speak in tongues, pray in ours in tongues. It's really simple. The other thing as well is become an active member of the church. Let me say that again. Become an active member of the church. We've, we, you know, I came in here today. I had to be a cameraman and all sorts of things. We need help. If you're just sitting there every Sunday, not doing nothing, please come find me at the end. Trust me, I will find you a job. If you think, I can't do that thing, we will train you. Clicking a mouse or zooming a camera isn't hard, I promise, okay? Number seven, listen to this. Learn to forgive people that hurt you and do it quickly. Do you know how many bitter roots and grudges that Christians in our country hold, and then don't think that they do? Can I tell you, it's really, really hard to forgive people who have hurt you. But it's not. You can't unload this from Christianity. We have to forgive. It's a model that Jesus gives us. It's actually what makes us different. If you don't know how to forgive, come and talk to one of us. We'll teach you how to. Some people don't know how to forgive. And some people, you need to look hard at yourself and realize that there might be some people you have to forgive that you didn't think you needed to forgive. Start with your parents. I'll leave that there. Number eight, two more. Share your faith regularly. Number nine, grow up. First Corinthians 3 says, move from baby milk to solid foods. What are you, six months old? Remember when you feed your baby and you get that little bit of carrot that they spit at you? do the airplane thing into the mouth there you go are you six months or a mature believer there's a time when you have to stop receiving and start giving you know it's great you'll get fed here but the job isn't just to feed you the job is to equip you so that you then move into place and finally number 10 if you fall pick yourself back up again don't give up Dang, I don't know, many times I fall. Many mistakes I've made, many times. But I get up the next time and I go, okay, Lord, I dust myself down. I ask for repentance. And I forgive those who hurt me. And I ask the Lord for repentance of my mistakes. And I pick myself up and I keep going again. It's a daily struggle, but we've got to do it. If you want to be a disciple of Jesus, it's going to teach you something. But it starts by you making a decision. And I want you to stand and we're going to worship, but I want you to make a decision today as we do this. So a way of response You need to get right with the Lord. You just need to get right. If you've been a, an extractor of the goodness of God all of your life, and you've never been a giver of what God's given you, you've got discipleship all wrong. You still need to be disciples. That's great. There's a season when people need a handheld for people to help them through a process. But there's a point that comes and gives that mic. There's a point that comes whenever whenever we have to grow up and move from being the receiver to the giver when do you move from being the receiver who needs fed to the giver who's helping, it's called the discipleship process and maybe today you've screwed up royally hey, I'm the first to put my hand up you know what I know about the Lord it not matter many times, you get back on your hands and knees, you say God I'm sorry I've messed up, it's not hard to do that today, I want to encourage you true discipleships know who they are in God. They know the cost that it cost them. And if you need to do that today, you need to know the Lord, you need help with that, we've got a prayer team here as we close up in worship. Thank you.